It's New Hampshire Headlines on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Check, Be sure to check out the show on demand uh, every Friday as video as well as audio only on WKXL's social media profiles as well as at nhtalkradio.com. This week I'm joined by editor Jeff Feingold of the New Hampshire Business Review. Welcome back. Great to be here, AJ. So uh, it was super interesting to see that you had a recent conversation with Dr. Ashley Stevens, who's the president of the Focus IP Group. Um, Academic technology transfer is is something I think a lot of people are aware of, but it's tremendously important with regards to all the very expensive and time-consuming research that our universities do in the United States, as well as our corporations that do research and development, getting that information and patents and everything to developing nations or completely undeveloped nations in, in many ways. And yes. uh, what, how, how was that conversation for you? I don't know how much background you have specifically. Well, I, it was. Re- I, I mean, I knew. I knew some something of it. I guess enough to be dangerous, but not really <laughs> quite enough. But I know that for many years been following what's been going on at UNH in particular with their UNH innovation. And I've also followed, also obviously for, as a business editor, watched the, uh, the really the fertilization of all this biotech industry in the upper valley, mostly because of uh, Dartmouth being there, Dartmouth, you know, call Dartmouth College and Dartmouth uh, Hitchcock, because there's a lot, a lot of uh, research goes on over there, and it's spun off into some very successful biotech companies. And the same could be said about the, the tech that's coming out of UNH. Uh, the the, uh, the the development of stuff has led to to businesses, you know, all over New Hampshire and all over actually, all over the place. Uh, but it's it's really quite interesting because Dr. Stevens has just one of the great backgrounds in this. He's been doing it for so many years, I guess about almost 40 years. Oh, wow. And uh, he worked at BU and he was at Dana-Farber before that and he oversaw a lot of tech transfer in that sense. But the the point that he was making is that uh, he, the, 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 in, the economic impact of academic tech transfer, which is basically the research is being done in a university setting and then the research is is either through partnerships or just acquisition. A private company develops it into something commercial, and you know we, we've saw so much of it going on in, during COVID because you know that mRNA research was done at university level and things of that nature. But uh, you know it's it's like we're talking about trillions of dollars in in, in economic in, in economic impact of the. Uh, of tech transfer over, over the course of, you know, all these years. Um, and Dr. Stevens, the reason I was interviewing him is he's, he's, he was speaking on the December 1st at Southern University, Southern New Hampshire University uh, for the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire's Global Business Summit. And he was going to discuss this. And he was the keynote speaker in a, in a group that also included uh, other, uh, some, some New Hampshire uh, experts on this. On, on just on the New Hampshire uh, perspective on tech, tech transfer, but it, you know, it's really it was very enlightening how how important not only the idea of universities doing this research uh, for you know for just the greater good, but also when he talks about Boston and it's what he refers to as a unique situation, and when he he can convince me easily right, with all the ma- major medical institutions there all the major academic institutions. And he said that Boston has become really the biotech capital of the world. 
uh, because of that. And he was, you know, he should know because that's what his expertise has been in. So it's really, it's really fascinating. And, and, and by extension, this is, you know, because how Boston goes, so does New Hampshire, and mm. it's really helped New Hampshire's economy as well. And it really does make you think about. You know, every two years we'll be going through it. Next year as well, the, the budget. How much money do we give to UNH? How much budget do we do? The, you know, when you think about the impact, when we're tr- trifling over 10, 15, 20 million dollars extra or less for the UNH, it's really kind of silly because the economic impact of the research being done at these institutions is enormous. Yeah. In academic research, generally speaking, the reason why the universities do is it's not necessarily uh, a way of making very much money in the long term. So if if the universities are able to do this original research or uh, partnering with pharmaceutical companies or or, uh, other governments to fulfill a need, it it in turn will make, in theory, whatever goes to market less expensive because there won't be all these millions and millions of dollars of uh, direct funding, let alone the time it takes for these things to develop and, and and almost always the university benefits financially as well in the end but you know certainly not to the extent that the let's say pharmaceutical companies yeah. are benefiting but it's not it's not like they're really uh going to uh they're, they're not doing this for gratis usually right yeah, that's funny. That's one thing people don't don't necessarily keep in mind is the the universities make money off the when they so what happens when they have when they create something new from that research they they create a patent. So my background as, as a staffer at the University of New Hampshire is um, I, I've been able to speak with various professors on this for the last several yeah. years, and uh, we have an international technology transfer institute here at UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, and the what happens is that they create a patent that gets filed with the with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to make sure that the university does ha- have the ability to to sell that patent to various pharmaceutical companies or trade it or do whatever they want to do so it's not just capitalized by by the market and cannibalized for whatever they want to do and that in turn and that in turn also allows for like I was mentioning at the beginning a little bit, is for like our professor Stan Kowalski at, at the law school will travel to Armenia last year to, to talk to, to them about ways they can use patents that are at the, filed with the USPTO so they can develop their economy, especially from an a- agricultural perspective. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's really very interesting because, because really, in the end, you know, UNH law, because it's it's such a, a major player in the world of patents and trademarks, I mean, that's really the, the, the great specialty of that law school going back to its beginnings. And they have a big role in this. And, and you think about this is New Hampshire we're talking about. Yeah. You know, New Hampshire is, has been really benefiting and 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 helping to, uh, you know, to grow this this whole uh, understanding of academic tech transfer. It's, it's really a fascinating field. Yeah, and it's only going to keep expanding. Is so fund your fund your universities. That's right. Fund <laughs> your university. There, it's it's super interesting if you're interested in science or um, contracts and anything like like. There's so many aspects when it comes to um, the research in law and. Um, what happens when it's done because there, the, that's a whole other end of it when it comes to international politics or even just national politics and Absolutely. business within our own economy here in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, something, it's something to really uh, bear in mind when uh, we do have those biannual, biennial uh, debates over funding university system. It's really, you know, it's, it, 
it has been getting sillier and sillier. So this is yeah, and it's so small. This, this, maybe this will be part of the discussion next year. We don't yeah, know. That'd be good. I mean, I mean it, it, it's shocking. Like, I don't. People don't realize how well, little the university system gets of direct funding from the state house. It's like f- between four and six percent, if I remember yeah, right. Something like that, and they, and they have an outsized influence on on what goes on there too, which is really, you know. Yeah, Huddleston was a little more majority shareholder, but they act like they're the majority shareholder. Let's put it that way. Exactly. I think President Huddleston was a little more vocal in his uh, opinions (laughs) when it came to that than uh, President Jim Dean is. Dean was is like, just just leave us alone, basically. And Huddleston was like, no, you need to pass. That's right. That's right. It's funny how political how leadership uh, interacts with politics in this state. It's always interesting. So uh, move on to something else. Uh, Dover Waterfront Public Park received zero bids for construction. <laughs> this, yeah. this I saw that headline. I'm like, oh no, that can't be good. Yeah, you know what? What this is something that's been going on in Dover for I'd say 20 years or so. A discussion of building a river walk in Dover. You know, right up right there mm-hmm. on the uh, Cachico and. Uh, it's it, it Dover has really uh, a great success story in terms of redevelopment in in in, in uh, on the seacoast. They've become it's become a, it's a really vibrant community, and and this is like was the last step in that redevelopment, uh, and uh, it involved uh, it vo- involves a major investment by a developer to build a housing and commercial development, and I guess some, some offices along the river, and part of it would be to build this park, this riverfront park. Riverwalk Park, and uh, they put out a request for proposals for bids, and they got they got four qualified bidders, all major construction companies, and they had a reply by the twenty sixth of October, and it turns out they received no bids. So there's a stories about the explanation that uh, the the official the city official in charge of this gave to the city council, and it basically involves what the construction companies looked at as a unreasonable deadline for getting the construction work done on this park, the beginning of the construction work done. It was because the Army Corps of Engineers, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are uh, overseeing this permit process. And they said that they had to complete this shoreline work on the park by March 15th, 2023. Now, that's not much time. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I know there's climate change, but still, you know, they, the the bids were in by the 26th. Even if they even if they picked a someone to who won the bids on the 27th of October, it still would be an unreasonable amount of time. So that's why they never submitted any bids. So we're, now the city's in the situation of basically uh, pleading with the Army Corps to extend that deadline to the 24th to, to, to 2024 to March of 2024, which would be, you know, give someone a reasonable amount of time to, uh, you know, to do the work. So that's where it is right now. But it's it's really, I I, I, I you know I, I unfortunately have have had a fascination with the Army Corps of Engineers ever since Katrina, and they, you know, it's sometimes you kind of wonder about <laughs> that agency. You know, the decisions they make are just not. Uh, not always at the most solid on a solid ground. I mean, there's no reality to that decision. We're saying we well, got to do it by March 2023, but the so, bidding's going going out in the fall of 2022. I mean, you know, but yeah. 
That's my own personal opinion. I know I was editorializing. On <laughs> well, how does how does it work with the Army Corps of Engineers? Like, like how is that structure? Because work? it's a waterway. They get they have they oversee the uh, permitting process. They they have you know the, the state's also involved in the permitting process, but the Army Corps has I guess gives the basically the construction permit. And, uh, you know, they set up this time frame that just seemed unreasonable. I mean, it could have been that they set the time frame up a couple of years ago, but the bidding process got, you know, wasn't wasn't open until uh, I, I think it went out sometime late summer. And, uh, you know, you know, these are construction companies that, uh, you know, they, they specialize in these things. It's not like they don't know how to do this. It's not like they're getting some some guy off the uh, street with a truck somewhere. So it, it, it's really, it, it makes you realize that the best laid plans, you know, are just yeah. not, don't always work out. Yeah, pretty much. But I, I would think, I would think considering how important this is to the city, considering the investment that Cathart's investments, the, the developer is putting into it, it will get done. But it's when you see these hurdles, the bureaucratic hurdles, you know, just really understand why many times businesses get frustrated with the red tape. Oh yeah, of course. Government inter- intervention and everyone else that w- wants their piece of what's going on or a say in what's going on, and in, in these shoreline and waterfront uh, developments are huge in New Hampshire. Absolutely. I mean, they're enormous. You go consider what's going on over what happened with Portsmouth over the last several years mm-hmm. is just gorgeous. What they've done. Uh, where were we? Re- oh, it was over at Laconia towards late in the summer with all the cleanup they've done uh, on the back end of like. Do you think there's there's strips like everything's here? It's like no, you go block over. There's this nice little uh, waterfront park over yes. there too. You can wander around. And interestingly, we have a story in our, in our current issue that came out a week or so ago on Concord's plan for the I they want to expand 993 that will happen right. in a wide 993 and part of it is to come up with a plan that would allow the the city to have be more accessible the downtown more accessible to the river because that's one of the problems with I-93 kind of separates the city yeah to the central city of from the river and that's not what you see in cities like you know obviously Dover Portsmouth Manchester you know they make use of the of the river and this is this isn't a they're, they're trying to they're trying to figure out ways to maybe come up with an idea like a park or a river walk so also so concord also can benefit from that yeah concord's weird with that isn't it because yeah, the, 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 the downtown is like up on the top of the hill you have um, a couple shopping plazas uh, that aren't conducive towards really walking around and then you have the railroad tracks and then you have the river and the highway next to each other. Exactly. It, it's terrible for for like you got to wander up to Penacook if you really want to get to the river. Yeah, I know, and and, and and you know, and it's really from just from a, a livability standpoint. I mean, Concord's a nice city. I'm not saying it's not, but from but it, it would add so much more to the livability of this of the city to be able to access the river. It may, it'll make it'll give the city a different feeling, which mm-hmm. is actually the the classic one I can think of is. Uh, in New York City, they built that Highline Park, which goes up about 20 blocks. It's the old former West Side Highway, which was an elevated highway, and they kept a major section of it. And it goes along the Hudson, the Hudson River, and it's a beautiful park. And it and all kinds of housing went up, and commercial development went up along the way. It's uh, it's a major tourist attraction now, actually, international tourist attraction. 
Like so Steve yeah, Dupree can only do so in, much. It's not going to happen in Dover. It's not going to happen in Concord, but mm-hmm. on a smaller scale, it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's in such a huge, especially in Concord. I'm going to harp in my own city. <laughs> There's like this huge amount of land back there. It's like yes. Steve Dupree's like the one guy that seems to be really building up things around there. But yes. it, it, generally speaking, to to if they did something with the to assist the homeless population a little more directly here in town and cleaned up that that just fields yeah. of open space between the railroad tracks and downtown to be there's tons of opportunity like the Graponi's there but it's way in the you can't get to it from here basically oh, I, know. I know and, and it's funny because you know I, I as far as i know from my concord history i do believe that that shopping center on store street i believe that is where the uh, train station used to yeah it was yeah and you think about it, the train station was right, basically right on the river basically yeah and then they developed the shopping center and then it just kind of closed it off. Yeah, it entirely blocked it off. And and then you go to the other, it's, and then unfortunately that whole section behind that plaza is homeless encampments. Yes. Uh, All up and down, all with the friendly kitchen on one end of it, which Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful that they're there to provide those services and Conquer Coalition and homelessness is over down there. But when you kind of don't build your city infrastructure in a way that um, gives space or room for development in a productive way, you kind of end up in this weird spot because you have um, the, there's, oh, what is it? The granite, pl- oh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's like a, a housing manufacturing place over on store streets so that yes. takes up a ton of space. Yo, and there's plumbing supply. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then there's the old liquor commission enforcement offices are still there. And then it's a market, the market basket and it's Burlington Plaza and such. And then yeah. nothing really after that, because then you have this weird parking behind the Holiday Inn. It's yeah, not I know. conducive. And, and you know, it, it's interesting. And, and what happens is you get that space, which is similar to here in Ma- Manchester, downtown Manchester, where these undeveloped spaces just are like places where a lot of the homeless people go because it, it's not used. People yeah. around there, they can have some semblance of, I guess, not privacy, but, you know, community. And, um, you know, it's it, it's 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 because of, not, I'm not saying development would, would get rid of the homeless crisis, but what it would do, but it, but it should go hand in hand with some kind of, at least a, some kind of, even a medium term solution mm-hmm. to this, you know, or a long term solution would involve getting housing for everybody, but, you know, that's a very complicated issue. But even if there's some kind of way to to get this figured out, it's you know it's really a very uh, it's very frustrating on so many levels with how homelessness impacts uh, the state. Yeah, it, it's always been some someone who's lived downtown Concord for the last decade. It, it's you see the ebb and flow of the of the population over in that area and the. the, the local police do something to to kind of just clean up a little bit because it yeah. creates a tremendous amount of of, of trash and yes. dangerous areas that no one can go near be, because what are they going to do they don't have a dumpster they don't have trash yeah. bags and such it's like it, it's going to go where it's going to go and many of these people have tremendous mental problems that they yes. aren't able to get treatment for, it's, for I mean, it's, it's a very complicated issue it's not going to be it can't be just fixed with like one little step but it's it's a complicated issue and i know that people Policymakers, they don't like complicated issues. They like, you know, yes or no, let's do this. And it, it's it's something that's, you know, it's been intractable for so long. It, it goes hand in hand with the housing crisis, which we're nibbling around the edges still today. So it's yeah. not, it's, 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 an old, it's all part of the same issue, big overriding issue. 
Jeff Feingold, editor of the New Hampshire Business Review. Thank you so much for joining me. Great, great, great talking with you, AJ. And uh, if I don't see you, I don't know if I will, but you know, have a great uh, holiday. I don't know. I don't know what the schedule is. But. Yeah, we got to look at the schedule. YouTube <laughs> for sure. Uh, always enjoy our talks. NHBR.com if you want to get more of their work they're doing over at the New Hampshire Business Review. This is New Hampshire Headlines in WKXL.